0: the speed strength show I'm Tommy
1: and I'm Braden and what is the most athletic track event outside of the deco or hepta or pentagon uh, really my first thing to say was the multis 100 percent um
0: Ooh.
1: so I guess you could take it like what athletes would be best at like a variety of sports or best at a variety of track events Would maybe be one way to take it or you could think about like which if you were to train for one event which event would prepare you best for a bunch of other events or a bunch of other sports
0: well i mean i'm going to sound really biased when i say this but if you train for sprinting it gives you the underlying ability for every other event right you have to go down the runway in long and triple jump so you spend a lot of time working on sprinting you obviously have to sprint and navigate the hurdles in hurdle events and javelin, you have to approach with a run and then throw pole vault, same thing. So it's sprinting is probably the most
1: transferable. I would say it's the most transferable to like team sports as well. The, The most team sports anyway.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, sprinting is a foundational thing. I don't know if it's the most athletic compared to all the other stuff. vault vault's probably the most technical.
1: I would agree with that. Or high
0: jump maybe. So uh, I'm I mean I want to say sprinting because it's the foundation of of everything else. And if you can sprint very very well it gives you the ability to do a number of things. So isn't that sort of what athleticism is? If
1: I we would think of someone so. who's
0: athletic. We think of someone who can do a whole bunch of movements and actions with their body.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would agree. Like the, whenever I listen to strength and conditioning podcasts, they're always like speed is the number one thing everyone's going after for most people anyway. Like not everybody needs to get faster. I don't think anybody would turn down speed though. You know, if they could trade, one attribute for speed, then, yeah, I think most people would do it. Um, And you, well, you are right for all those other events, and it's still going to give you, like, the neural drive and the power to maybe be, like, semi-passable at the throws and things like that.
0: Um, Yeah, you would think even the timing, too, like getting the limbs to do whatever action at the same time and and things like that. So I, I think for that reason, I would pick. I would pick
1: sprinting. Yeah, I guess even though it sounds really
0: biased, that I'd be taking
1: that. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely a little bit biased, but that makes sense. Um, I guess it kind of, to me, makes a little bit of sense to go with hurdles because it is all the same things you said, but I feel like there's just a little bit of extra coordination and like mobility and maybe like a little bit of extra power you need to get over the hurdles that you like like sprinting at least if we're talking like a 100 you'd be so far in one direction which like a 110 hurdles would bring you back a little bit um also in my head is maybe like I don't know what length of sprint you were thinking about but if we're talking like a 400 or an 800 you'd still have like really high end top speed but also be really well conditioned for you know a lot of like longer length like rugby and soccer like team sports and um, and then also like if we're talking track like the longer distance runs you'd be
0: you'd be okay at for sure. yeah, yeah you certainly have more like bandwidth or versatility to do things if you were a like a 400 meter sprinter yeah. because I mean if you take even take an example of someone uh, like Van Eker who's the current 400 meter record holder on Men's side. he is a sub 10 second sprinter in the 100. Pretty sure he's gone sub 20 in the 200. Wow. And then he's the world record holder in the 400. So, I mean, you could argue he could be in the Olympics for any of those events. Like, he's not going to be quite as fast as the maybe the top, top people in the, the 100, but he could probably make an Olympic final if he's healthy. Yeah. And then what? he can stretch that speed out way further than any of the yeah. guys he's racing against in the one.
1: Yeah. I mean, you think about it too. Like if, if he has that ability, but he's also like, he's training for the four, right? Like I, you wonder what he could do if he was training for the one or training for the two,
0: you know? But yeah, I do agree. I I, I was thinking more in the shorter realm, like Mm. from a, like a pure speed Mm. standpoint, because the pure speed is what's going to transfer over and best other, other events. Hmm. Like your ability to hold station in the in the last bit of a four hundred isn't going to help you in, you know, pole vault as you're going down the runway. Although, because the field events have multiple rounds and mm-hmm. some of it, sure. like a pole vault for example, <clears throat> is three tries. Yeah. And if you complete it you, at each height, yeah, you keep going. So you could end up doing like five, 10, 15, 20 jumps, like who knows where you're, you're going to yeah. be. So potentially that capacity or the, the ability to, you know, be able to sustain that speed over and over and over again would be needed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with my answer of sprinting yeah. as the, the most athletic event in track and field inside of the multis, because I think without question, it is the multis.
1: Yeah, that's why I had to eliminate them off the bat because there's. I would I would say well, whoever. There's no convo. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say whoever wins the deca, hepta, penta, whatever you want to call it, is like. I don't know if we talked about this on off air or not, but like the winner of the CrossFit Games is dubbed the fittest person on Earth. But I would say whoever wins the deca or hepta in the Olympics
0: is like the most athletic. I would say. Yeah, there is that, that title that goes with. With people when they win that they are sometimes considered like the most athletic person in the
1: world yeah i would say so i would say damian warner currently is the most athletic
0: man in the world you could argue that that is the case because he's the defending gold medalist
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so yeah it makes it too easy if you if you pick that
1: yeah yeah
0: but yeah i'm gonna stand by sprinting Yeah. yeah that's fair just because, like I said, the versatility allows to do so many other things. As a result,
1: mm-hmm. um, I guess. Do you think there is any field sport that would translate really well to all the other ones, or not really? Or is field just the throws, or all the are the
0: jumps field as the well? Jumps are field too. Okay, I would say that javelin would be my next one.
1: Interesting.
0: Cause javelin's like an elastic throw as opposed to like a strength throw. Yeah. Like, so something like shot, but you have a, you know, it's, it's a much heavier implement. You have way more time.
1: And it's a push. It's not really a throw. It's more like a push.
0: Yeah. Compared to the javelin, like you get that loading yeah. with the, with the javelin and then there's that elastic component. So, I mean, plus you have the run up. Yeah. So if somebody can sling a javelin pretty good, they can probably sling a baseball or spike a volleyball, yep. or throw a football, anything, a water polo, all the sports you can think of where there's some sort of single arm, like yeah. rhythm, throwing type motion, striking, yeah, would probably transfer really, really
1: well. I mean, anecdotally speaking, of people I've met more recently, there seems to be a crossover between javelin, volleyball, and high jump, all kind of being one like one athlete can do all those things
0: yeah because if you think about the demands of volleyball you probably have somebody yeah. that could figure out high jump or yeah javelin depending on where their strong suit really really buy
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly um but yeah i mean that kind of nicely like anything athletic i guess talks about, translates well into anything we're going to talk about on any episode um but I think all those things being very elastic and like full body uh, transferring force through the full body, um, kind of complex movements that way translates really well back into talking about fascia, fascia round two.
0: Yeah, I would agree because like you said, it's, it's everywhere. Literally, yeah. It's all over the body. As we talked about last time, like it's literally covers and wraps everything like Mm -hmm. nerves muscles bones all of that stuff so it's everywhere so as soon as you're doing some sort of movement that is global it's your whole body like we're talking about you know javelin where you're running down the runway and then throwing the spear Mm -hmm. your whole body's involved so then the fascial system is involved Mm -hmm. and so like you said almost any athletic movement any movement period Mm -hmm. is going to use or depend or impact the the fascial system in some sort of way. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, yeah, and and even just what you're talking about, like sprinting translating so well to so many other things, like obviously sprinting is a part of so many other things, but just the way that it prepares the body for like uh, instantaneous high, high degrees of force and transmitting the force like from the foot all the way up to the opposite shoulder and then how that sling is preparing for the next step. And like, there's the constant like counter movement, like stretch, recoil, stretch, recoil, stretch, recoil kind of thing. Um, and, and how it makes like using that system makes the movement so much more efficient and therefore like you're able to use so much more or produce so much more force than you would otherwise be able to in a shorter amount of time with less energy expenditure. You're talking about the guy running the 400, like imagine doing that with only muscles, you know,
0: <laughs> well, you know you'd be cut. You would be absolutely fried by the end of the day, like yeah. 100%. I mean, you already are mm-hmm. and that's with all the elastic return. So like you yeah. said, if you had to run on pure muscle, you'd be, you'd be toast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's any points that you wanted to like just highlight from last time around, like how the system works before we, we dive yeah. into it. I mean, it's everywhere. It covers and wraps everything. So literally every everything we do is influenced by or influences the fascia in our body.
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah, just all, all the connective tissue. When we're talking about fascia, we're talking about all the connective tissue. Um, I guess we're focusing a little bit more on the stuff that connects muscle to muscle, muscle to bone and like wraps muscles. We don't are in the, in this conversation. I don't think we care as much about the stuff that wraps the organs and cushions, the organs and things like that. Um,
0: but obviously yeah. important, but
1: not in our context. Yeah. But yeah, wraps, everything's everywhere. Adapts to everything. Um, okay. yeah. Little cells laying down lines of, you know, tension, uh, collagen fibers and elastin fibers and, um, And they get laid down in the direction of the force that they're responding to in like literally in response to force um, and the type of collagen and the type of elastin is going to be dependent on the specific stress and force and repetition and time and all those things that you're subjecting it to with, you know, like heavier, higher tension things resulting in thicker, like stiffer collagen fibers and more elastic things would be a higher percentage of elastin and also like more springy elastic collagen fibers
0: as well um
1: it's great that you bring that up
0: because that's effectively why i think it's important to think about the drink and to to consider what sort of effect you're having on that because like you said it's it just gets laid down and it's the movement it's the action it's the things that we do that actually influences how it's going to be built from like a, an architect like a architecture standpoint within our
1: mm-hmm. within our body and that also like the fact that it just get laid just gets laid down and it's the movement that like turns it into something useful if there's an absence of movement then like it still gets turned into something it just ends up not being that useful you know like that's how you end up with the like the sticky thick kind of layers stuck together and the crisscrossing fibers going in every which direction that like are resistant to movement in all directions instead of, you know, ready to stretch and spring in one direction, which is more useful. You know, if you had like your Achilles tendon, if the fibers were going in every direction instead of, you know, perpendicular to the ground, then, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to run your 400 because, your tendon wouldn't stretch the way you want it to and recoil the way you want. It to.
0: No. And then you'd end up in that scenario where you're talking about running on all, all muscle because you get yeah. very little return. Yeah. I mean, so what were some of the big things that stuck out to you as far as like we dove in, we read a bunch of stuff. We read a number of papers. We watched some presentations, things like that. Like what were some of the big things that stuck out to you from a, not a function standpoint of the, of the fascial system but from like a movement and like training perspective um well
1: one of the first things that tom thomas meyer said was that it takes a lot longer to adapt like to meaningfully adapt anyway than muscle does like you can make a lot of meaningful neural adaptations to muscle in a couple of sessions we know that and you can make meaningful hypertrophy uh gains in well i guess what did we say was maybe like was it six I think, yeah, minimum of six, and I think twenty was like the meaningful, meaningful number or something like that. But like within oh, yeah. six was the
0: structural change.
1: Yeah. And then twenty like was like for cross-sectional area. Yeah, something it was something like that. Yeah. So um, but I mean, commonly understood like within three months you can make like meaningful hypertrophy gains, um, versus they're saying six to twenty-four months for meaningful like overhaul of the fascia fascial system um but that being said like it's it's adapting all of the time so like you are making changes all of the time but just if you're pushing 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 the muscle his his point is that if you're pushing the muscle then you're going to end up with an imbalance between the muscular system and the fascial system because the fascial system can't keep up so you have to spend more time early on creating like a resilient robust fascial system And then later you can push the muscles and the muscles like the fascia will be able to stand up to it because you've taken the time to build it. And within that, I think somebody else was saying that it, it takes longer to build, but it's it's like anything else. It's a resilient attribute. It's more structural, right? So it takes longer to build, but it's going to last longer once you've put in the time. Um, Same way we talk about speed, like you got to be doing it all the time because you're going to lose it. And strength is more resilient than that. So you don't have to do it as frequently. And it takes long, a little bit longer to build. Maybe, I don't know um depends
0: so I do um, feel like is the the worst trade-off it takes forever to develop and you can lose it yeah. like that i feel like it just has the the worst end of both worlds right but
1: because fascia is more structural like it takes a lot longer to build but it'll last a lot longer um, and you don't need to do as much to maintain it either i would say
0: yeah and, and that, that that aligns a little bit with what i was thinking to, to me the two big things that stuck out was that uh, the fascia responds exactly like what we were talking about and responds in different, in different windows, mm. right? Like you said, there's those immediate sort of what happens when I sit down in this chair and then what would happen two seconds later if I stood back up? Cause there are changes that are going to take place, but they're, they're not permanent. They don't really have any meaningful outcome versus like you said, all the way up to, six, eight, 12, 24 months worth of, of adaptation where now it's become much more like structural. And I think that's a really important thing to consider within training because we're always thinking about time to adaptation and the windows of times and, and things like that. Because if we're not aware of how long it's gonna take for something to develop or to be like expressible, let's say by the athlete, then we don't necessarily know if we're doing a great job mm-hmm. preparing. Like, if if I have no idea how long it's going to take somebody to get strong and fast, how are you going to have that person ready for the power that they need or for a track meet? That's right. Because you, you you need to sort of know your windows of time. So, to me, the, re- the response is a really important thing to consider with training. And then also, its ability to transmit force, specifically in that sort of elastic way that we've been talking about, where it's, it, it's elastic, it's stretchy, it, it's susceptible to being lengthened out and stored with energy and then being able to rebound back in a recoil type fashion because of what it's what it's made of. So to me, that's going to influence some of the activities and the things that we would actually select to do to make sure that we're getting the, the fascia to glide, to move mm-hmm. nicely because certain activities then are going to I think of have a better influence on that mm-hmm. because if we're taking advantage of those elastic properties, as opposed to activities that may not take advantage of that. So to me, those are sort of the two big things that stuck out having, you know, heard of the fascial system, but not really considered it, like to the extent that we have, obviously for like now discussing and, and, and chatting on air about it, mm-hmm. but those are probably the two big things that it responds or how it responds. And then That it's very effective in terms of transmitting force, Mm -hmm. because that's going to influence
1: the activities we pick. Yeah, I guess like one one bit of a dilemma, like starting with the the time thing and how it responds. um, Some numbers that have come across, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, it was collagen breakdown is higher than collagen synthesis, like for the first 48 hours post workout. Or something like that, and this might be for like a fascia-specific workout, but I'm also kind of thinking that every workout is fascia-specific. So it's involved in everything we do. I don't know how that much that matters. And then it it flips, and collagen synthesis is higher after the 48 hours, um, and then returns to normal. I think like five days or something like that. So I, I've seen a few different things like that. Those might not be the exact numbers. Um, but I've seen a few different things recommending like a fascia-specific workout like twice a week, or something like that. Because doing more than that, and and it's um, like a number of different like I, like the Pilates Pilates talked about that, um, and the the Joseph or Joel Sleep, that book, um, mm-hmm. the Pilates chapter talked about doing it like a couple of times a week. Um, yeah, there was a number of different things that were talking about doing it that way so that you don't like it's like the same idea that you don't train a muscle two days in a row because you just keep training yourself down into a hole which if you're modulating like intensity I think it's more or less fine but um, that's something that is in my mind anyway because like it's very common to train you know four times a week or five or six times a week you know and doing full body movements six times a week now if you're doing different full body movements, you're using different like fascial lines and fascial chains. So maybe from that respect, it's it's fine. But um, yeah, that was just one thing. I don't know if you came across any of that information or not.
0: No. Um, oh, so I, I'm curious what you came across in terms of like fascial specific, because I have a hard time wrapping my head around like a fascial specific workout because of exactly what you just said at the end. Of, yeah. Like, Almost everything we do is going you know, to influence the fascia. And I could not even do a workout today. And I could just get up out of my chair, walk over there, go do whatever, pick up the laundry and make some food. And the fascia is being used and yeah, maybe so, it's not yeah. being stressed enough to make a change, but. Well, like there's know. anything,
1: like, there's like everything else, there has to be like a minimum effective dose, I guess, right. Where there's a certain amount of stress that is going to create that collagen like i guess if collagen is always being laid down then maybe it is only going to be in time like when it the fascia system is stressed that collagen is going to be getting broken down at a higher rate you know so maybe it's something to do with that but like the impression i got from those uh like book chapters and and things like that was that it's it's different than like strength training is not a fascia workout not fascist specific anyway. The fascist working in a different way, but like those numbers are still the same. Like I think the 48 hours and then the five days thing was specifically related to resistance training. Um, but resistance training is going to stress the fascist system in a different way than sprinting or a different way than like Tai Chi or, you know, like stretching, just like a mobility workout is going to stress it in a different way. So, Yeah. I don't know. It was, that was a, that was a weird one for me, um, to kind of think about, but I guess like the recommendations were like, you can do your, your workouts that are for performance, like two or three or four times a week. And then you have twice a week. That's like a fascia specific workout where you're going to do more like like specific like stretching of the like fascia lines or working on like finding lines of tension or um like slower movements and in multi directions like tempo movements and things like that not like a tempo squat necessarily but i don't know like a really slow like lunge rotate reach kind of a thing um so yeah i don't know it's it's interesting I'll, i'll make sure before the next one to to um look into that specifically
0: yeah because it it, so the like for me kind of how i was thinking about you know what were some of the elements that could specifically be like brought into training and work within within our training realm i think as far as the time standpoint goes it makes sense you talked about sort of that 48 hours and then you know than being able to turn around and getting a couple of days of that type of stuff in a week. Because if I think of a typical week of of any athlete I've trained from a speed power perspective, whether it's track and field, whether that's you know, a sport like rugby or football or something like that, where I do consider there to be speed power demands, that you're you're getting some of that big stuff in every second day. Right? You get two to three days a week of High velocity, high intensity, high strength, high tension, tight movements. We're not going to go into the weight room and lift heavy every single day. We're just going to fry the person or sprint super fast every single day, et cetera. So there's a little bit of that natural break in terms of the, the short-term changes that would take place where if you have a high-intensity day focused on, like you said, sprint or lifting performance, let's say, and then you have a lower-intensity day where you can deal with maybe some of these things we're talking about and then you come back to a high intensity day and because it's stressing maybe different movements or the fashion different ways it's not interfering with with one another and then you get a weekend off and that's your you know time away to you know completely let it remodel and then of course over over time you're going to end up with with more permanent changes
1: yeah that, that might be the answer like it's maybe it's like 48 hours in between like the same kind of stress is maybe a good rule to follow for now yeah, anyway. potentially
0: yeah. yeah and so one of the interesting things from the like the response aspect of it that I came across was that like there's the four different qualities or uh, yeah quality is probably the right word I think that's the word that Myers actually uses in the book and that Fascia is like the This this goes yeah. with viscos. Viscous, viscous. That's it. Thank you. I knew I was saying that as soon as it came out, I was like, I definitely said that wrong. You dummy. It. So it's it's viscous, it's elastic, it's plastic, and it can remodel. And he introduced them in those in that order because that was sort of the time frame. So if you want remodeling. That's the longest. That's where you're talking about that 12, 24 months. If you wanted to truly remodel mm. and change. And then the, the viscous or the viscosity nature of it can change very, very short. Yes. yes. Like that's like almost like in the instant. that's right? where if I yeah. create a pressure change in one area by moving a joint or whatever, it, it changes it. And so to me, what was most interesting was that the next, thing that adapts or changes in the factual system is the elasticity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And given the athletes I work with, the sports I'm involved with, things like that, as soon as I see those four qualities, the one that jumps out at me is the elasticity. That's the one where I'm like, okay, that's the yeah, that's the one where we're gonna get a bunch of like the best bang for buck. So like what I was kind of wondering is, you know, yeah, it's a couple of times a week of you know, doing doing things that are a little bit more elastic in a submax way, right? Not elastic in a we're sprinting full speed down the track or something like that, but low intensity med ball movements, three directional movement that has an elastic component to it, small hops and jumps, things like that. Is not is that enough? But is that the minimum effective dosage for taking advantage of some of this in in speed power sports? because you can get the elastic changes that you're looking for relatively quickly. And then you just continue to work on those things. And then at some point it's gonna enter that remodeling stage where you've now built up the lines in all those different directions you're, you're stressing it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, I think so. That's kind of the thought that I had about it. Um, I think, yeah, like the viscosity and the elasticity, I think that they work really closely together because from what I understand, like, when it gets stressed, like, stretched or, like, tensed, then the fascia, like, it it kind of, like, squishes all the water out and becomes, like, more or less viscous. I can't remember. And then when it, like, shortens again, then the water comes back in kind of thing. So that they, those two things, I think, kind of work together. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what I think a lot of people talk about is, like, starting with those low-level like hops and skips and jumps and like those just like yeah little little things it's almost like going back to the plyo series we did where you start with like the quick contact and when you have the quick contact then you can build up and increase the intensity of those things um but yeah like i i I think so that's how i would probably start if we're going after it in this way like that's not to say that you can't like sprint and jump and do bigger things as well you know but if i mean i still would
0: personally for the the training and stuff I was putting together for people. And I mean, like, I wouldn't want to discard that stuff.
1: No, for definitely not. But that's, yeah, like that's, especially like our job is to prepare people for their sport. And it's not like their sport is going to take a two year. Well, it kind of did just take a two year break, but um, it's probably not going to happen again. So (laughs) you know, we don't don't have two years to remodel before we start sprinting again. So, um, but yeah, I think so. I think that makes sense um, to do it. That way in some capacity we were talking um when we went out for lunch like a couple weeks ago yeah about the like the extensive and intensive and was there one other one i can't remember
0: oh Um, yeah
1: extensive intensive and reactive reactive Reactive. yeah yeah yeah. so the reactive was the more intense stuff that would be more akin to like a depth jump or, or sprinting or something like that and then um and then the intensive was the elastic like repetitive stuff and then the extensive was like the super easy you're just like moving from a to b as many times as you want kind of
0: thing uh, yeah it's like the low load and yeah so to me like that extensive med ball work for example like continually repeating you know rotational throws against yeah. the wall or overhead throws against the wall or you know mm-hmm. some sort of like lunge with a reaching and you know like a reach pattern or something like that would yep. all fall in that sort of like extensive yep. kind of category which i think is perfect with the, the fascial stuff because it can take advantage of some of the elasticity mm-hmm, absolutely in different directions but in a non i don't want to say in a non-stressful way because you need stress to create adaptation but the, the stress level isn't like high yeah. nervous system demand
1: Well, yeah, no, I would say that's like low enough stress that you can do it on a recovery day, which I think like the way that I'm seeing it is these like fascial workouts would be recovery day, essentially, Um, where you're doing, you can start like that would be the most intense thing maybe you do on that day Um, would be, yeah, just like a a big, like a few big sets of like, like 20 continuous hops or 20 continuous like med ball. It's not high force production, but you're just like, the purpose is to to have that that elastic recoil that like pre-stretch and then come out of it kind of thing and like using your body in an elastic way it doesn't need to be high force but loading and, and releasing in an elastic way um and then getting into less intense stuff afterwards but um yeah I think
0: well, and even sense. the opportunity to do things in multiple directions absolutely right? yeah. because i think one of the big things too with the with the fascia stuff like when we talk about transmitting force and it's important that we're moving in different directions. We think back to the last episode we were talking about like the adhesions, and you alluded to it a little bit at the at the start there, right? Where there's like the sticking points and things don't move super well. Well, if we only ever do things in one direction with one type of movement, then we effectively we don't prepare ourselves to move in different in different directions. Mm-hmm. And we create those and the words that they use is these adhesions that then prevent us from moving. So then through all this submax loading, for example, this like reaching and throwing and small hops and things like that. Like yeah, do some of them lateral, do some of them forward, do some of them backwards, chop up and down, lift up and down, mm-hmm. rotate side to side. Like you you combine all those different planes of movement, and it's a good chance, especially for sports too, where Kind of get walked into one plane where you, you can still allow the body to move freely <clears throat> regardless. Because, yeah. and you know what, it's important maybe not from a pure performance standpoint, is but as much as we think about something like you know Olympic weightlifting or weightlifting if you're not in the Olympics, um, as like a sagittal plane, it's one direction of movement because the bar goes up and down. And moving the sagittal plane, or sprinting because I'm moving from the start line to the finish line in in one direction. There's still so many things three dimensionally that's going on. And you know, if you look at a lifter who has the bar overhead, well, they're stabilizing. There's there's rotation sometimes, especially on game day when they're pushing the limits. You see them take a few steps forward to stabilize the bar. It's it. You know, and same thing with sprinting, you're moving in a linear direction, but there's a lot of rotation. There's a lot of, you know, mm-hmm. frontal plane stability. So I still think it's important that with these types of training, you know, maybe not in your big days, but on some of these other days that you still make sure the body has the ability to move in different areas and in different spaces, because you don't know where you're, you're going to need that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I would say, well, sprinting, for sure, for sure, ton of rotation, ton of, yeah, frontal plane stability. Um, And, yeah, you look at, like, the snatch or, like, a squat or whatever. I mean, good luck getting the bar from the ground to overhead without your shoulder rotating. Good luck getting in and out of the hole in a squat without your hip rotating. You know, like, it's not like it's just flexing and extending. Like, everything is happening, you know what I mean? So um, you need to have that ability at every joint to, to rotate and, like adduct and abduct and flex and extend and um and like for sprinting and like team sports i would argue that those like elastic omnidirectional low intensity things are performance enhancing because you know you're preparing your body to move in any direction which you're gonna have to do like you have to move in any direction um and it's gonna happen frequently it's gonna happen frequently and then for the other sports like powerlifting and, and weightlifting and, um, yeah, I guess those are the only two that are like, those are the two most sagittal plane sports that I would, that I can think of anyway.
0: Yeah. I would agree. Um,
1: the health benefits that come from omnidirectional movement is also performance enhancing, like being healthy is a performance enhancer. So it's, it's important
0: yeah like a a good example of that was there was a like a a weightlifting coach i worked with in the past not like my like it was a a fellow coach and he was obviously on the on the weightlifting side and on some of the off days they were doing these like they called them multifist twists okay which you were basically just lying flat and you either had somebody anchor your feet like you were flat belly down and someone anchored your feet on a bench or you could use one of those like Roman chairs or back extension machines. And you would, you would lie flat to the ground belly button down. And then you would hold a plate overhead and you would twist and move through like the, like the T-spine and rotate side to side. And they didn't load it heavy, but that's where, you know, he was talking about, all well, that ability, when you, you know, jerk or snatch the bar overhead mm. and you're dealing with that rotational demand that the bar puts on you they're not doing that exercise to load it to prepare you for that. That's what you do in practice when you're actually snatching and and jerking and things like that. And you actually have significant weight overhead, but that's still allowing that person to have that range of motion, have the, some sort of, you know, movement quality and smooth movement quality without sticking points and and things like that. So it was interesting to see, okay, on this day, we're going to build some, you know capacity or the the ability to do that movement mm-hmm. and to have we can tap into it we can tap into that type of movement and then on the other day where we're actually loading and we're putting significant weight over it that's yeah. where we're working on the skill of, mm-hmm. of stabilizing the bar but if you only ever work on the skill portion that's heavily heavily loaded well you're only loading the fashion of clothing that one way you might lose the ability to actually get that extra little bit of rotation. You might need to stabilize. Well, that's right. Things like that.
1: That's right. I mean, like if you, if you don't take the time to work on your ability to move, then when you're practicing your sport, you're only going to move in the ways that you're proficient in, you know, like if you're, well, we've been talking about squatting. So if you're squatting and you have a little bit of a shift, you know, then you're going to continue to squat with a shift because that's the only way you know how to squat. And the longer you squat like that, that's going to continue to be like a tighter and tighter window. That's the only way you can squat until you take the time to learn how to squat with zero weight in other ways. You know, um, Todd Wright talks about that all the time. We're like, or like Todd, Wright And then uh, Gary Gray and like the uh, Gray Institute. And, um, they talk about <clears throat> like, just restoring movement options essentially and, and making sure that people can move in any kind of a way. Cause if you've got like their basketball guys, so if you got in um, like a, a post player that is used to pivoting off their left foot and they can pivot really well and like do all their moves off their left foot, you know, it's great for them, but eventually someone's going to figure out that like, okay, they pivot off their left. If I can, you know, make it so that they can't get their left foot to be the pivot foot, then I win. You know, or if yeah, you're putting them in a compromised ball. Yeah. Or if I yeah. like they're on their left foot, so I block off this way, they have to go the other way, then I stuff them and I win. You know what I mean? So then you're bad at basketball all of a sudden, um, which is one thing. Like you want to have those movement options to like have more options on the court. But they also talk about it from the health perspective that if you are, yeah, like you're strong on your left foot because that's your pivot foot your right leg is not as strong. So then like all of the fascial lines and all of the musculature and your left leg is more developed and then it's pulling on the pelvis in different ways. So then now you have right side back pain, you know, or you have right shoulder pain because of like the, the way the fascia is pulling or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it can, it can go in so many different directions, but from that perspective as well, you know, and, and it's, it's the fascia workouts. It's these like light omnidirectional, um, like we're stepping in different ways, we're rotating in different ways, we're reaching in different ways that restores those movement options. And they, they um, I think, try to put more focus on the things that they're not, like those athletes are not good at. So if you have, again, like the, you're good at pivoting on the left foot, then you're going to do a lot of things that would mimic pivoting on the right foot and just and just right foot stance in general and getting used to moving on the right foot, probably and reaching and rotating in different ways. Um, and if even if you have like a go to move, then you're going to do things that are the opposite of that, you know, just for the sake of evening it out and health and, um,
0: and restoring movement options,
1: essentially. I really like that term
0: restoring movement options because, at least for me, then the next thing I think about is well, you're giving the athletes more tools in the toolbox. That's right. And then when they're in their sporting environment, in their sporting context they have more things to pick from. So when they encounter a scenario where they go, oh, I have to hammer a nail into this thing, they can put away the screwdriver and take out the hammer and use the right tool for the job. But if you don't give them the different things to pick from, then they have to use that one tool over and over and over again to try to do a bunch of different tasks. It's not really like that well designed to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think like the light... Well, the moving in a bunch of different planes in a bunch of different ways is important for this too. But like doing it with light weights and like a very variable tempos, and specifically slow tempos, I think is good. Like Tom Tom Myers talked about this too, um, that just because you can do something fast doesn't mean you can do it slow. And taking the time to make sure you can do something slow first is maybe uh, a really important thing um, because I think like you've probably seen people in the gym doing like, like a single leg RDL maybe, or some kind of uh, like a split squat, very, something that requires a little bit more, more balance and they just like race through it, you know? Um, but if they slow down, they're going to fall over kind of thing. And yeah, it no is, no exactly, it's one of those. So you're kind of, you're using the momentum to finish the movement in a way. And I think like when you do that, you're, you're moving, like by default, as soon as you go fast or heavy or whatever, you're moving in the way that is easiest to move. There's no way around that. Um, And that's going to be like a pattern and like loading of musculature thing, but it's also going to be, I, I think like the fascia is going to stretch and slide in the way that's easiest for it as well. And the areas that are stuck are going to stay stuck and they're not going to move. And like all the areas around it are going to stretch and slide. And um, so then trying to do things slowly and really smoothly i think and and to a variety of angles and rotations and and full range and all of that um i think gives those stuck areas a little bit more opportunity to to try to unstick and focusing on making it smooth i think like if you're doing a movement that you're not good at and doing it slowly and trying to make it smooth it's hard and yeah. it's so hard like it's shaky it's jerky it's it's not nice but
0: you, you it's a movement that's well practiced for you like if you've done that movement a lot and now you're trying to go back mm-hmm. and you know add some of that stability or that slow tempo or that control mm-hmm. like you said someone doing their single leg rdls for five years racing through them yeah, yeah. that's a well practiced pattern now yeah and now you're asking okay just chill out slow down and mm-hmm
1: it's going to be worse than
0: someone who's doing it for the first time. Probably.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but and yeah, that's just another way to kind of get around the adhesions. And like, and maybe it's not a performance enhancer, but then Tom Myers would, would argue that if you give yourself, like allow your fascial system more time to like figure out how to slide properly, then you have more range and you have more capacity mm-hmm. to store elastic energy and you have more capacity to stretch and load and you know you have you just have more it's like like if you compare it to muscles it's like you have part of your muscles just not working and you can drive home like I need to make the part that is working produce as much force as possible or you can take time and not do that and focus on getting your entire muscle to work you know it's it's the same kind of idea in my mind anyway
0: yeah and I mean it's it's the whole idea of like building a base and developing, you know, what you need. And, and, and as soon as you were talking about like all oh, the ability for, for range and stretch and this and that, then, you know, I was almost, I was reminded a little bit of the talk we had with with Dr. Dr. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, where, you know, then it becomes a little bit, you know, specific to the athlete and the person. Right. So if we think about that, you know, that ability to stretch and, and store, you know, energy again, that's the, the aspect of the fascial system that, you know, I'm obsessed with because it it influences the, you know, the, the activities and the, the types of athletes that I train so well. But if, you know, if I think of the elastic demands and the stretch demands on, you know, a baseball pick, pitcher, large ranges of motion, right? You really get a lot of whip on the ball, like a very, very elastic activity where if you have somebody you might need a little bit more range a little bit more stretch than compared to you know maybe the i'm thinking of the stretch movement like in the achilles when you're on the ground in terms of like changing direction or sprinting or things like that so maybe with the baseball pitcher you need to spend a little bit more time because you have this really large elastic movement Mm-hmm. And maybe you can spend a little less time with an athlete, like a, a sprinter or someone has to change direction where it's more reactive because the, the window of time is small. Mm-hmm. So then the stretch and everything else isn't going to be as great, but it still highlights the point, like you said, that there's this ground level or base level work that you would need to establish prior to, mm-hmm. to going into it. And it, again, it's going to depend on every sport, every athlete, every person, And their demands are going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But you can take that principle and sort of universally apply it in different ways based on what's in front of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be person-specific, like in any sport. Like we talk about, you know, the the demands of a weightlifter are going to be specific to their sport. And the demands of a basketball player are going to be specific to the sport and also how they play it, you know, and and different things like that. But um, that's a great point. Like bringing up the baseball player, I like that because I would argue that it's even more important with like a full body. Like we talk about the way that it transmits force was we, we haven't gotten all the way into that yet, I guess. But um, if you're like, taking force, like from the ground, like every, everything is a ground reaction force and then driving it up the chain, you know, if you have adhesions in your I can't quite remember which part. Um, I think it's Sartorius is part of the chain that goes like a, the front cross body. Um, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. If nice. you
1: have adhesions there and then you're trying to like rotate and like open up your shoulder and the top end, then like if, if, you're, if your quad essentially isn't moving and like the bottom half of that chain isn't moving, then you, you're asking more of the top half. And like you already know that a pitcher especially – their shoulders and their elbows are under so much stress already. Right. And I, I actually remember like I shadowed A-Rob a few times and, um, he deals with a lot of baseball
0: guys. So there was, well, that's what made me think of A-Rob as we were talking about this, because I was thinking pitcher yeah. and specifically now I'm like, oh, let's keep talking
1: about A-Rob again. So, and so baseball guys would come and see him. And like the, one of the times that I went, like a couple of baseball guys went and saw him and, and someone's coming in for shoulder issues. And then his first question's always like, like, how do your hips move? And then he's assessing, how do the hips move? And oh, surprise, they don't move that well. You know, like good luck opening up to throw if your hips don't move. You know, and then and then you're doing it all arm. You know, like every throwing sport, if it's, we're talking about a real throw, like it's you need to drive from the ground and then rotating the hips and then like that was another big thing that all these like books talked about in the fascial system. It's it's um, like sequential it's like i think they said proximal initiation but it can be anywhere like it's step by step like the ankle is moving and then the knee and then the hip and then the torso and then the shoulder and then the elbow and then the wrist and like you're exponentially creating more force that way you know but if you don't have like if you're missing one of those links then everything above that needs to work harder you know and then you end up with shoulder problems or elbow problems and and then you're done
0: yeah and so that's what yeah like to me the it it makes sense why we need to spend some time on these types of activities and again i don't really use the word fascial specific because again i think the fascia is trained and Mm -hmm. used and it's adapting all the time so the, the idea of using the term fascial training to me is a little bit kind of nonsensical in that way but this idea of we need this lower intensity elastic-esque multi-directional movement as a foundation for a lot of different activities Mm. I think is is really important and I mean it's a it's a big underpinning of you know my own training that Mm. I do with with the athletes that I work with and you know, the, the lower intensity days they, they look like that. I do a lot of submax isometric work to help with you know muscle working isometrically and to help the create the, the space and the stretch for the tendon and then I'm always pairing it with low intensity, low impact, extensive plios, extensive throws, different three direct three-dimensional movements in, in space with med balls or Things like that to, again, to open up the the range of motion and the the movement options available to an athlete and to train and prep it for some of that elastic activity, because then on big days, when we go after things, that's that's what we need to be prepared to do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah,
1: I like that you brought that up too, the isometric thing. We talked about that in the plyo, um, the plyo thing too. Um, I just... I kind of a little bit forgot about that just when when I started reading about the fascist stuff and like, I got a little bit excited and I was like, this is the only way. Um, But you know, I read something earlier today that reminded me how important like strength training and stuff like that is as well. um, Because like you get the energy back because something stretches. Right. And if the muscle isn't stiff enough, like, if the muscle is not as stiff as the tendon, then the muscle is the thing that's going to stretch.
0: Not the, yeah, the muscle, it yields to the, to the tendon, yeah. and then so, the tendon doesn't get to do any work.
1: That just, like, made me remember, like, yeah, okay, you do need a level of strength. And I think it's, it's important to remember, like, because then there's the whole, like, you need to be able to squat two and a half body weight to do a depth jump thing, which I don't know if that's true. Like, but you don't need to squat two and a half to do plyos like to some kind of plyo, because it's just about the amount of, I think it's about the amount of force. Like, and if the muscle can handle the amount of force that this specific plyo drill is asking, then I think you will get a little bit of stretch out of. plyo. Yeah, well, exactly.
0: Our junior kindergarten teachers squat testing all their five-year-olds that are in Uh, class make sure, Hey, you better make sure you can squat pounds your body weight before you go play hopscotch. Like, no, that's ludicrous. That's right. Right. So like you said, but the demands are so low. Yeah.
1: And then then I think you are, because it's always adapting, then you are teaching your fascial system to be a little bit more elastic because those are the demands you're placing on it. Um, And maybe that's not enough for your Achilles tendon because it's so thick, but I don't know if that's true. I think like there's, it, it has to be like, you're, you are stressing that structure. So it has to be. Um, So I think that, That matters, and then that actually um, tied in with another uh, post that I saw recently from Rugby Strength Coach on Instagram.
0: Oh, great Um, stuff from him.
1: Yeah, and he was talking. I mean, all of
0: it, whether it's the legit stuff or whether it's just like the memes. The memes. I I love all of it. I love Um, all of it.
1: But he was talking about how, like, in his like the research that he's done on the athletes that he's worked with, I guess, if you're squatting, like. 1.3 1.3 to 1.7 times body weight increases in strength are not driving improvements in jump or sprint performance. Was his, oh, yeah, I remember opinion. seeing that which makes sense, which does make sense, yeah, like that's that's enough. And then, and then, so after that point, then what like it's not, we know it's not strength. Um, and then from the Bill Parisi book, there was, um, the guy with the specific force plate, Sparta, I think it was, um something, something like that, like a Sparta force plate, um, that had like the specific athlete movement signature. Um, and the things that were contributing to jump performance on this force plate was the rate of or magnet rate or magnitude of eccentric loading. Um, the max peak force, which is kind of like your rate of force development stuff. And then the impulse, which is like your stretch shortening cycle elasticity ability thing. Um, And I think he said that it was the strength, like typically vertical strength, like good squatters will have very high eccentric force, which makes sense, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the naturally like really springy explosive, like he cited basketball players where the peak force, like high rate of force development, like just naturally like you have the type two muscle fibers. Congratulations. Yeah. And then it was the like people that were doing the full body stuff like pitchers and javelin throwers and uh, maybe volleyball players and stuff like that too that were better with the impulse because you have like however much time you need to exactly. produce there. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting with that too was it was because um, they collect a lot of data. It was overhead squats was the thing that – seemed to make the biggest improvement in the impulse, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but to me, that just made sense in a way that like it's full body connection, full body stability, like full body control. And it was a coordinated demand as well. Yeah, and it's it's gotta be slow. It's like a lot of range and a lot of mobility, you know? So yeah, I don't know.
0: Well, and I'm glad you brought up the point about strength too and the ability to produce force because we're talking about this elasticity where connective tissues, tendons, things like that, they they stretch
1: mm-hmm.
0: and now they have energy stored. But how do you initially get that stretch? Yeah, something's you need gotta to contract, start. something's gotta produce force to put that movement. And then it's once you've got through that initial movement, yeah. you can now have this this energy return. So you know
1: and, and the stronger... a lot of that stuff is
0: important. It's just how how do you package it together? You need to be yeah. fast, you need to be strong you need to have some range of motion and it's the, the age old challenge of how do we package it together in the best way possible?
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's tough. When you were talking earlier, um, about, well, we've said a few times, like this fascist specific workouts don't really make sense. I'm wondering if there are workouts that are like developmental or performance enhancing that like you're doing the best you can with, the existing structural fascial system that you have. And that's like, you're sprinting, you're doing your strength training, like all those things are like, you're trying to increase your eccentric loading and your rate of force development and your impulse with, with what you have. Mm -hmm. And then your fascia workouts are trying to give you access or better quality access, you know, (laughs) because your fascia is adapting all of the time. You know, but if you've, like, maybe your fascia workouts are, are working on getting rid of some of those adhesions so you can use more of
0: it. Um, but it takes a year to remodel. So yeah. you're doing the best with what you have right now in those other days, but you're working you have to. towards that remodeling post. That's an interesting, an interesting point. I never thought about it that way. I, I, that's the first time I thought
1: about it. It makes sense to me it's a good to thought. think about it that way. Um, maybe we'll explore that one a little bit next time.
0: That, well, you know, um, it's going to give me some ideas now. Mm-hmm. I that's, thought I had prepared no what we were going to talk about next time, but now I have, you've thrown a, a wrench in my plant, so I need to be adaptable.
1: that right. Hey, wrench is just another tool in the toolbox. That's
0: right. You've given me another tool, and I have to figure out how to use it before yeah. we the next episode. All that's right. really which, what it comes down
1: to. Like. Which hopefully will be, I, I think, I said it last time, but I mean it this time. I think it'll be sooner. I think I, this time it'll be sooner. Well, we're all settled in now. Yeah, yeah, we're both, we're both. We're late. both settled in. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um,
0: I think that's a good place to leave it.
1: Would agree for today.
0: It, it's going to segue nicely into whatever random, wild, probably potentially unintelligent ideas we come up with for the next one. Of those
1: yeah, maybe they'll be dumb. Stuff. Maybe they will be dumb. And
0: maybe they won't, but we'll find they out.
1: Yeah. Um, so, yeah, music then. Music is the next one. Oh. We remember how to do a podcast. Music is the next thing.
0: It's been a while, but yeah, it's like riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah, put the headset on the microphone
1: in front of you and just, you just roll. Yeah, that's right. Um, so what have you been listening to in the last month or so? <laughs> well, I'll pick a
0: lot. Uh, I will just pick what's been most recent. Sure. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Volbeat. Oh, I like Volbeat. And so, I mean, the reason is because I think, was it the last time I talked about the, there was the, the, the covers of the Metallica Black Album? Maybe. They're celebrating 30 year anniversary of that album. It's a horrible album, by the way, but that's irrelevant. Sounds very familiar. But yeah, so I was listening to a lot of Volby because Volby did a cover of one of those songs paying tribute to Metallica and they killed it. It's way better than the original because the original is <laughs> terrible. Um, but Volpe crushed it and they just recently uh, dropped a song uh, called Becoming because they have a new album coming out in December. And so and it's it, it's the best song I've ever written. I think it's so good. Wow. It's I'll so good. It's it sounds like Slayer at the start. and You have like 200 beats per minute. And blast beat just thrash metal and then all of a sudden it turns into this like you know groovy kind of rock and then he's got sort of like Elvis voice going on and then yeah, you get always... into this like Metallica bridge and then it ends with another Slayer riff you're just like how did they package all this together? Wow. they're unreal.
1: that's interesting so, yeah because they always did kind of like how I remember them anyway is kind of like a groovy yeah. like rocky groovy like elvisy kind of a thing they, they have on. this like
0: 50s 60s sound and influence to them but yeah. they're heavy yeah so
1: that's cool yeah. i might have to check that out yeah i'm a I, big volby
0: fan and so i've been listening to a lot of
1: that stuff yeah i do recently. yeah Bullbeat, i i only really heard their hits on the uh on octane back in the pack days but yeah it was they're they're good
0: they're a good group for sure well i mean we heard the warriors call probably like how many times over? Cause that was basically the theme song for Waterloo when we were there for our degrees.
1: Oh, is that right? I, when we went out for, uh, from the tunnel for football, it was Kesha, the warrior by Kesha.
0: Oh, they picked the wrong one. Then. <laughs> yeah. They picked the wrong warrior song.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's yeah. funny. What have you been listening to in the last month? though? I know for you sometimes getting music is a difficult task, but you've had a month now. That-
1: yeah. Well, so remember the last time I mentioned, uh, it was the Bo Burnham special, I think, was what I said.
0: Oh, um, Jeffrey
1: Peskos.
0: Yeah. Just uh, come on, Jeffrey, you can do
1: it. Yeah. Um, so, and I held two things back. So I before that, I had listened to or watched Yesterday, which is that movie where the entire world forgets about the Beatles
0: Oh, never seen
1: that. Um, and then the main character knows all the Beatles songs watching it. Um, I personally, am I haven't heard very many Beatles songs. So the movie was good and the music was pretty good. Um, I don't know. I have a hard time getting into older music personally. Uh, so, but it, it was a good movie. Um, so if you like it, then I'm sure you'll think it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you like old music that I don't like. Well, if you, like, if you like The Beatles specifically, I think you'll the, probably like the movie a lot. Um, and I also, prior to watching that, had watched... Uh, oh, man. I can't remember what the movie was called, but it's the one where the Pakistani kid gets inspired by Bruce Springsteen music. Um, and I, I do enjoy some Bruce, Bruce Springsteen songs, if I'm being honest. A little uh, influenced by my father on that one,
0: but... I feel was, like I know a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs. Yeah. But I don't know. And like someone would show me, I'd be like, oh yeah, I've heard that song before. But I had no idea that oh. was Bruce.
1: Oh yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. what I mean. That's
0: fair, yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> and then if we're talking about actual music, I just started listening to Ed Sheeran's new album. Because um, it was recommended to me the other, like, literally like two or three days ago. you um, on that quick there. What's that? You that quick. I was. Yeah. yeah. like, Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate because my daughter was sleeping at the time. So then I was listening to it while she was sleeping on me and she woke up after two songs. So I can only speak to the first two songs. <laughs> um, but the first one was good and relatable to my current experience. And the second one I didn't like as much because I thought it was too like produced. Um, I like Ed Sheeran's voice a lot, but the more produced stuff is not as nice. Um, in my personal opinion, I like his live stuff a lot. So, anyway, I've talked about Ed Sheeran before on this, but he's got a new album. So, I guess fifty. so far, I think
0: 50% of it is good. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> based on two songs, 50% is good. Yeah. I mean, if 50% of an album is good, it's usually an album worth getting.
1: I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. I, I, mean, I there are think... albums
0: worth getting. They only have two or three good songs out kind of like yeah. 10 or 12.
1: Typically, I think I, for bands that I liked, I, I think I typically enjoy like like maybe a third of the songs, something like that. So yeah, 50% is pretty good. Um, Yeah, that's it. That's it. We're back. We're hopefully. back. For real. We yeah. promise. We promise. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, if there's anything that people want us to talk about, then let us know still the same places speed strength show speed strength performance in Braden Southern. Um, and we will talk about them probably if they're good ideas. And until then, thanks for coming along world. That was a speed strength show. We'll see you next time. Peace.